Well, welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program, and I'm coming to you from the studios at the Coming Home Network International. Thank you for joining us, uh, and I want to remind you that this is a part of a long series of programs that are available through the Coming Home Network, and I hope you check some of the older programs out that we've been doing for many years. Lately, we've not been doing as many, but I'm being encouraged to, uh, to restart the programs. And today's different than our normal format. I'm here by myself. And recently, the readings for daily Mass uh, were fascinating to me. Uh, I am amazed when I see how the Church has chosen to put together an Old Testament, a New Testament, a Gospel reading. Um, and often we only hear the Gospel. We hear the others read, but maybe only reflections on the Gospel. But uh, I do believe that the Holy Spirit has guided the Church when uh, she has chosen to put certain passages together. And recently, as I mentioned, the readings were fascinating to me. And I fascinating also because I tried to imagine condensing the thoughts of those two passages, the first reading from the book of Acts and the second from the Gospel of John, into the short eight to ten minute homily that the church encourages the good priests to uh, uh, to give us as a gift in the midst of Mass. And uh, I couldn't imagine there's so much in these two passages. I thought today, uh, I just reflect on a few things, uh, particularly on how I view them differently now than when I used to, when I was uh, a pastor. And now I look through things through the, through the lenses of the Catholic faith. In the past, I looked through them through the lenses of a Calvinist evangelical. And again, there's so much in these passages, but I what I'd like to do is let's take a moment, just look at the gospel, and then we'll look at the passage from Acts. And as I'm reading these and reflecting briefly on them, and we'd love to hear your thoughts after I, you listen to this, is to hear the, the parallel voice of the Holy Spirit in these two passages. And from them, ask, you know, what is the Lord saying to us today from these passages? There's so much to focus on. It could take easily over an hour of reflections. But I'm going to look at quickly five things in these two sets of readings. Um, and, and I'll give you the five. First is the issue of departure. Second is the uh, pronouns they or them. Thirdly, the idea of keeping, guarding, commending to God. Fourth, the idea of consecration, being consecrated. And then fifthly, the word of truth. I mention these five because they're, they're essentially mentioned in both passages. So first of all, the Gospel of John 17, 11b through 19. I'll quickly read it. This is in the midst of our Lord's priestly prayer. Um, it's at the end of three or four chapters uh, that scholars, we've always presumed our Lord was giving to his 11 apostles now uh, in the night of the uh, the Last Supper, before he's arrested 
and then crucified. These are his final instructions. And at the end of this, while they're gathered, it says that he lifts his eyes to heaven and prays. And so we get the words through the reporting of the 11 who are there in the presence of Jesus. And this is, should read the whole chapter 17, but this is the passage for Mass. Holy Father, keep them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one just as we are one. When I was with them, I protected them in your name that you gave me, and I guarded them. And none of them was lost except the son of destruction, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. I speak this in the world so that they may share my joy completely. I gave them your word, and the world hated them. And because, because they do not belong to the world any more than I belong to the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world any more than I belong to the world. Consecrate them in the truth. Your word is truth. As I sent, as you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And I consecrate myself for them, so that they also may be consecrated in truth. Now, there's a lot in this passage, but just those five things. First, departure. In this passage, it's in the night before our Lord is going to surrender himself and to allow himself to be crucified for our sake. And so he says in verse 13, but now I am coming to you. That is the context of this passage. The Holy Father has sent the Son, and then the, then the Son now is returning to the Father. And at the end of the passage, we see in verse 19, where our Lord says, and I consecrate myself for them. And we, here we touch the word consecrate. What does the word consecrate mean? Back when I was a evangelical Calvinist Presbyterian, I'm, I'm not sure how I understood the word consecrate. I understood, of course, being set apart. It's understood as being set apart as sacred to God. But in the context here, there's, and as the church has understood it for nearly 2,000 years, it has a much deeper meaning. Um, consecration is expressed. It's the same word that we interpret as sanctify, holy. And so it says, for example, in 1 Corinthians 6, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Spirit of our God. And so through our baptisms, we are set apart. We are removed from the world, as Jesus says in this context, for his apostles. And then they are set apart for a mission. That's what consecration means. Being set apart either by someone else or, in this case, our Lord says he does it for himself. This is a part of his departure. He's going to the Father and then they will be no longer under the immediate relationship with Christ, but as he prays, Holy Father, now keep them in your name so that they may be one. And he says, when I was with them, I protected them in your name, and I guarded them, and none of them was lost except Judas. But he, he in, 
intimates this relationship that our Lord had with them while he was here, and now he is returning to the Father. And, of course, we've just celebrated the ascension, and there's that great image of the apostles standing there looking up, and the angels say, why are you guys standing there looking up? You know, our Lord has returned. Now it's your time. You've been set apart. You've been consecrated. Now it's your time to fulfill your mission. And as he says in verse 19, I consecrate myself for them so that they also may be consecrated in truth. This word of this idea of truth. Verse 17, he's asking the Father, consecrate them in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 14, I gave them your word and the world hated them. This idea of the word. Again, what fascinates me is I've come to see things through the lens of the Catholic Church, through the, through the lens of the sacraments, through the lens of the mysteries of the work of grace in the church, is that so many of these terms in Scripture that I took at face value, I pray in the name of Jesus, cast out the demons in the name of Jesus, whatever you ask in my name, what I come to see is that it's much more complicated than I took before, almost flippantly. When our Lord says in verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name that you are giving me, what does it mean to be kept in the name of God? Jesus said, I protected them in your name. What does it mean? It doesn't mean that just the name of God merely was a label. Benedict, in his book, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth points out that this idea of in the name refers to a deeper understanding of the imminent presence of God. When Jesus says, Holy Father, keep them in your name that you gave to me, he is asking the Father to keep his apostles in intimate relationship with him. An intimacy, a union, in fact, and a unity that, as our Lord says, is similar to the one that our Lord experienced with the Father. Jesus said, Holy Father, keep them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one just as we are one. Being in the name of God is an intimacy, a relationship. Our Lord is going to be leaving them, returning to the Father. And so now their intimacy will come when he sends the Comforter to dwell within them through baptism and through the gift of grace that will allow this intimacy between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that we each have, but more, I think, more significantly, that we as a communion share in the church. For this is what makes the church, that we remain in his name. And so, okay, the departure of our Lord leaving, this idea of being kept and guarded. He says, and I commend them to you, our Lord says. Uh, we'll see that in the next passage. The idea of being set apart uh, for the mission. And then the idea of the word. In verse 17, consecrate them in the truth. The word is truth. Again, not just simply the words on a page or the words of a tradition that are passed down by word of mouth. But again, this word of truth represents a relationship, a, rela a relationship with God the Father through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, an intimacy. Which is why in this passage, 
at the earlier part of the evening, before he prayed, he gave them what we have in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. And we see in in chapter 15, our Lord exhorting his apostles to abide in him and talks about this, this reciprocal relationship of abiding in Christ and he in us. I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. This relationship, this continuing relationship that on the one hand happens by grace, but on the other hand requires our response, which in itself, our ability to respond comes by grace. And so this call to have this intimate relationship that doesn't just begin with baptism or begin and end with accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior, that's the beginning, but it then continues every day for the rest of our life as we live in this relationship with God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. In this particular case, as our Lord is praying in the context of the apostles listening, he is asking the Father to continue keeping them, helping them abide in his presence, um, that they may remain united in this presence, in the same way that when our Lord was here, he protected them and he guarded them in this name. He says in verse 14 that one of the problems is, is that when he gave the apostles the word of God, the word of truth, and again, a deeper understanding of that is the entire gospel, the message, but it's even deeper than information. It is a changing of character. When we receive the word of God, we don't receive only new information. We are changed. We are become different. It sets us apart. Again, the word consecration. And the problem with that is that it then sets us apart from the world around us. As he says in verse 14, I gave them your word and the world hated them. Why? Because they do not belong to the world any more than I belong to the world. Verse 16, they do not belong to the world any more than I belong to the world. It's interesting our Lord repeated that twice within this a couple verses. Just a couple verses earlier in chapter 17, verse 7 and 8, he says, Now they know that everything that thou hast given me is from thee, for I have given them the words that thou hast gavest me, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from thee, and they have believed what thou didst send me. This word changed them. Now, quickly, I did mention that there's something significant about the word them and they. If you read through that passage and you just highlight in your mind the pronouns them and they, you ask yourself, well, who was Jesus talking to? And the danger that I did as when I was a Protestant is that I just always assumed when I read John 14, 15, 16, 17, that Jesus is talking to everybody. The problem with that is when you take what he says to mean everybody in general, every Christian, I mean, then it doesn't make sense because obviously, for example, when he says he'll give the Holy Spirit to them and lead them into all truth, well, the danger is, the the problem is that we Christians don't agree on anything. There's not one thing that every Christian agrees on. There's lots of things we have agreed on, but no one thing that we all agree on. And so who was he talking to in this passage? And this is very important 
for the interpretation of John 13 through 17 and to recognize that in this section, he's talking to his apostles. And what he's particularly asking God the Father to do is to consecrate them for this unique purpose, not only of remaining in the name of God, this intimacy, and being guarded and protected while they're in the world, but consecrated to lead the church, that they are being set apart for this leadership in the church, empowered for that. And we know that this is what he means because the next verse in John 17, after this passage, is John 17, 20, in which our Lord says, I do not pray for these only, these meaning the 11 whom are in his presence, but he says, but also for those who believe in me through their word. And that's where we come into it. We are the ones that have received the word through the apostles, through their consecration to the mission of proclaiming the gospel. And then it's reached us now almost 2,000 years later. Now, I've got about nine minutes left. I'm going to jump up to the other passage. That's just a, a quick overview of John 17. Now Acts 20. Now this particular section is fascinating in this context. It's about Paul when he's on his journeys, and now he's returning to Jerusalem. And as he's stopping off at a number of the small towns along the Asian coast, he stops at uh, Miletus, and while he's there, he asks for the presbyters from Asia uh, to come and visit. And it sounds like in Scripture that there are a bunch of presbyters from the church of Ephesus, but the context implies that these are many priests and bishops from the surrounding area around Ephesus. And they travel the 30-plus miles down to this little town, and then Paul is uh, delivering his last message to them because, number one, as I mentioned in those five items, it's his departure. So let me read quickly. Paul says, Keep watch over yourselves and over the whole flock, of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you overseers, in which you tend the church of God that he acquired with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come among you, and they will not spare the flock. And from your own group, men will come forward, perverting the truth to draw the disciples away after them. So be vigilant, and remember that for three years, night and day, I unceasingly admonished each of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to that gracious word of his that can build you up and give you the inheritance among all who are consecrated. I have never wanted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You know well that these very hands have served my needs and my companions. And in every way, I have shown you that by hard work of that sort, we must help the weak and keep in mind the words of the Lord Jesus, who himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had finished speaking, he knelt down and prayed with them. They were all weeping loudly as they threw their arms around Paul and kissed him, for they were deeply distressed that he said that they would never see his face again. Then they escorted him to the ship. Now, do you see the parallel between these passages? In the first, our Lord is 
the last time he's together with his apostles before he surrenders himself to the cross. And here, Paul, the last time he will be with these presbyters and overseers before he is, returns to the ship to be escorted back to Jerusalem. And he knows from prophecies as well as in his gut that he is going to be uh, facing trial and probably martyrdom. I'm not sure if he knew that at that point. But look at those five things in this passage. Number one, there's a departure. And he says, I'm going. You'll never see me again. And so, just like our Lord Jesus, Paul is preparing these leaders to complete their mission for which they were consecrated. In the first verse, 28, he's speaking to presbyters. And he says that they are to keep watch over yourselves and over the whole flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you overseers. The word for overseers here is the word episkopos, which is the word translated bishop. In the early days of the church, often it was hard to tell who was a presbyter or a bishop. The, the words were interchangeable to a certain extent, different cultures, and over time, the issue of the bishops being set apart as the leaders of the local church with the, with the presbyters or priests, we get the word, their assistants, and then helped by the deacons. This will develop later. But the point is we see this leadership. Paul and the presbyters who are overseers who have been set apart by the Holy Spirit appointed by the Holy Spirit. Why? To guide the church, to tend the church of God that he acquired with his own blood. Who? Who God acquired with his own blood. In essence, our Lord is being proclaimed here as God. And the, the, the phrase, the church of God, is singular. And so we see implied here that all these presbyters, overseers from all the little gatherings in the area are leaders of the church of God, one church, not a bunch of independent communities, but as one church established by our Lord and acquired through his own blood. He then warns that there will be battles. Our Lord warned the apostles that when they went out, they would have a battle with the world. Here we see not only will they have a battle with the world, but from their own midst. In the midst of the apostles, we had Judas, here we see that from our own group, Paul said, men will come forward perverting the truth. Why? To draw the disciples away with them. Our Lord was praying for, praying for unity, that the consecration that they experienced with the Holy Spirit would allow them to have this abiding unity with the Father through Christ and by the power of the Spirit. But we see immediately that the devil is actively trying to destroy the church from the beginning. And so from outside and from within. And so in verse 13, Paul tells them to be vigilant. And I don't have time, but I, those of you that want to look up Revelations chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, where we see uh, John reporting the letter that our Lord was speaking to Sardis, it's using the same word to be awake, to recognize that the danger is already in that church in Revelation, that already these Christians who had started off so well had lost the faith because of leaders from within watering down the faith. And as our Lord said in Revelations 3, their faith 
was dead. And so Paul, getting ready to leave, he uh, admonishes them uh, to hold true to the faith, to the name which they had been given through Christ. And then Paul has to do just what our Lord did. Our Lord was asking the Father to keep the apostles. Here Paul says in verse 32, I commend you to God and to the gracious word of his, to the word of his. This phrase, the word of grace, the the word of grace, his word of grace is parallel to what our Lord was saying. I consecrate them in the truth. The word, again, it's more than a list of phrases. The word is this life-changing presence that comes within a believer through the Holy Spirit, through baptism, through the, the, the consecration being set apart for the work of God. And as Paul said, now I commend you to God and to that gracious word of his that can build you up and give you the inheritance among all who are consecrated. And that kind of general idea of consecration refers to, as Paul does in 1 Corinthians 6, the idea of baptism is a way that a person is set apart for God. Departure, them, keeping guard, consecration, the word. In other words, our Lord passed it on to the apostles so that guarded by the name and the word, they were empowered to fulfill their mission. Paul does this with the presbyters and overseers in this church. He he commends them to God. He prays for them, and then he charges them to carry out this t- mission to which they were given. Okay, and how does this apply to us? Through our baptisms, we have been consecrated. We have been given a mission, and we have received the word in us, and in his name we have a relationship with God through his Son, our Lord Jesus, by the empowerment of the Spirit that enables us to fight the battles in the world that hates us because we've been changed by the Word, the Word that has come within us and made us into vessels for His grace. You know, I pray that as our Lord was praying for the apostles and as Paul was praying for those first overseers, I pray that God empowers us to live out our consecration for His glory. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org.